Hello and welcome to the Psychedelic Podcast. My name is Dan and I am joined by my handsome co-host. My name is Jamie. Actually, this is episode one. This is this is the pilot. This is the takeoff. This is yeah. this is we are my tray table is in the upright position and I am ready to <laughs> to cast this pod. Um so after this episode we have got a very special guest, which is Katie Falconuff. <gasps> Falcon, Falcon. Yeah, you, you I was literally just about to say, oh, you just said it right first time, and you didn't have to question it. But then, but then you did. I just want to make sure, Falcon, not Falcon. Yeah. Um, it's Falcon enough, yeah. But it, if you ask people in my family, they'll give you at least four different answers. For anyone who doesn't know Katie, she is the co-founder of Time Trap Escape Rooms. Um, she also spoke at Competitive Socialising 2022. Yeah. Which was. I was there. You were there. You did the speaking. I did ju- just in time for COVID to not be ruining it. Excellent. Um, and all three of Time Trap's current games are in the top 50 in Escape the Review, which is a massive that achievement. That is a massive achievement. Whoop. Your entire current roster is award-winning. It's good to not have a dud one. That, that would be sad. I'm glad that they're, they're all in there together. That is good. So tell us how it's going to go down, Dan. It's a very simple format, Jamie. This this whole podcast is laid out just like a real old escape room for anyone that's done them before. We're going to get to know a little bit about our guest in the briefing section. Then she's going to really puzzle it out and explain all of her knowledge of the escape room industry and building stuff. And then we're going to have a nice, relaxing debrief and unwind. Um, so this week's theme is um, building historically themed escape rooms. Slightly niche, but something I'm interested a lot about. Alrighty, Katie, it's time to get into the podcast proper, but before we start questioning you and grilling you about the escape room industry and all that you know, just a quick health and safety brief, like we were in a normal escape room, so you feel at home, so uh, all of the sockets are live, the doors are never locked from the outside, please keep your arms and legs inside the podcast at all times, remain behind the yellow line and never speak to the driver while the podcast is in motion, and remain groovy until the podcast has come to a full and complete stop. <laughs> What brought you to the escape room industry? The credit has to go to my auntie Anne, shout out. She was actually uh, the first person who got me to play an escape room, and our whole family, in fact. Um, she was a bit wacky, and I think everyone was like, oh, it's this activity you want us to do. Oh, I actually nearly didn't go. Um, but I did. To Puzzle Air in Bristol was my first game. And me and my three of my cousins just like screamed really loudly, which I now feel very bad for knowing what it's like to be on the other end of the headphones. And just had, yeah, the best time. And I felt like... And escaping was what I've been waiting for my whole life because I love every single thing that goes into an escape room. Like I'm personally interested in all the areas. Um, So I think maybe from that point, it was like in the back of my brain, there's something I'd like to do. But it took graduating from uni, trying a couple of different jobs, not liking them, not like just not being able to find my place properly to then going to a uh, a business workshop that was run in Reading. Um, And I actually went along because I was making hand-painted lamps at the time a bit random and andrew co-founder of time trap suggested i go along to kind of look at growing that business because i was i was selling them on etsy i was like kind of doing something with it but in the end i just threw it out the window and decided to i wanted to start an escape room company but although i love the creative side i am less confident in marketing etc things like that and so that's when andrew kind of started no, he was coming up to graduating soon and he wasn't sure what he was going to do and he was like oh maybe we could do it together maybe we should just try it i think we thought about it for like a month and then we were just like okay let's just do it so was it your idea initially did you kind of pitch it to andrew as like a i really want to do this thing 
do you think it's a good idea? Do you want to do it with me? Or like, were you was Andrew thinking about it as well? I think it was definitely yeah. It was definitely I was wanting to do it first. I think, and I I took Andrew to an escape room. I I think I'd already taken into to an escape room at this point, so he didn't know what they were. And I think I I actually can remember I was I was at a a craft market selling my lamps, and Andrew was there, and it was freezing, and he was just like walking back and forth and thinking like should I be involved in it should I not be involved in it and I feel like that was when the decision was made on a very cold cobbled street in Newbury randomly I think it was just he did want he wanted to work for a small business and I think he wanted to work in marketing like that that side of a business and so and like this opportunity like was basically that so and then he also got to like be fully in charge of it himself so I think yeah then he just decided to try it i think we were we were gonna try it we were gonna take it a step at a time and see how it went at each stage we weren't like gonna throw loads of money and a lot into it right from the beginning so it wasn't a big commitment at that stage nice how many rooms had you done before you came to this conclusion <laughs> that you wanted oh, to do. I'm embarrassed to say three. Oh, oh, just, oh, oh just, just the one with your aunt. <laughs> right, okay, what what was your first one? How old were you? What was the theme? And did you get out? That's what I want to know. Okay, yeah, so it was Puzzle Air in Bristol. It was the lab of Dr. Lev Pasted, which I think is still open. Lev Pasted? Yeah, it was December 2014. Oh, this so is like a diary entry. I, I was 20. You were 20 when you did your first one. So you yes. were 20 years old and you were still running around screaming yeah. and yelling at hey, cameras. Hey, only one cousin was older than me. The others were younger, so I blame them right, for like... Okay, yeah. Um, also, just because you get old doesn't mean you have to not be fun. No, you can always have fun. And first escape room, you're going to be excited. I mean, you know that. You know that people is, that, that do their first escape room true. are excited. That is true. Um, we did get out. I think we were 50, like eight. We were late 50s, but we did get out um and yeah i have fond memories of it like it's not um it's not like a groundbreaking escape room in terms of like set or necessarily narrative it's like an early escape room but like i think you always love your first you always like had the best time ever in your first that's the most romantically anyone's ever spoken about escape rooms <laughs> in the history of the world <laughs> the second one was Clue Quest in London, and I took Andrew. Was that and... Andrew's first one? Did you take Andrew to his first? Yeah, that was Andrew's first one. It was. Oh, that's um, really sweet. It was Plan Fifty Two. Um. So, what, in your opinion, makes a great game? I think a game that where the designers focused on everything, which sounds like asking a lot, but like it needs to have a great set. It needs to have a great story, and it needs to have great puzzles. Like, if any one of them isn't up to scratch or as good as the others, then like I'll notice and I'll be put off. So. Yeah, pretty high standards, but that's the basic. Just a smidge, just a little. <laughs> if you had I to, pick, I think it's unreasonable. If you had to pick the importance, though, which one would you put uh, as like the priority? Oh, okay. So I got two answers. So, firstly, in general, people definitely appreciate an amazing set, and if the puzzles aren't as good, that they'll forgive. But if the puzzles are really good, but the set is not, they will not forgive. They will notice. So, in general. The set is most important if you're trying to please a crowd. But for me personally, I really need the puzzles to be great. And I think also now that I've played quite a few games and the industry's moved on a bit, I need the puzzles to be like things I haven't seen before or at least like a way of doing something that I've seen before differently 
or just it there just needs to be some thought and some like uniqueness about it i think i'm the same with puzzles being the number one Oh, I don't know. And that's not there for me. I think I think I'm set first puzzles, that then puzzles. But they have to be close together. They have to be like you don't want you don't want to be in a great looking place, but then it's just like here's a padlock and the number is scratched into the wall. But at the same time, you don't want like great puzzles. But why am I here in this skanky warehouse? <laughs> What's the weirdest thing you've seen someone do when you've run a game? What's like the weirdest thing? you've observed a player do <laughs> to turn the lights out to make out when our camera's going to night vision I've mode anyway this story. <laughs> did they just make out yeah luckily oh, you say luckily I would, have, <laughs> I would not have wanted more thank you that was enough <laughs> did they did they speak about it afterwards when you were debriefing them did no they... no i assumed they thought we couldn't see because they turned the lights out but we could see in oh, yeah, night vision mode <laughs> but they didn't know that so i mean I, we weren't gonna tell them did you oh did you not go in and go yeah and no, i'm glad you had a good time it's good that we got these new night vision cameras anyway do you guys want to <laughs> do you want a little team photograph in hindsight that would have been fun a team photograph in night vision <laughs> <laughs> I think we're into the escape room now. I think that's more than enough brief. No, we're into we're into the meat of the meat of puzzles now. The meat, the meat, <laughs> the, the, meat of the, room. the juice of the puzzles. The, the ju- juicy. We're going to unlock those juicy padlocks of Katie Falconoff's life. Falconoff's, sorry, Falconoff's life. Falcon. No, what do we agree on? Falcon. 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 Yes. Okay. We're um. Don't you ever say juicy padlocks ever juicy again? Juicy padlocks. What's up with juicy padlocks? Stop it. Like you go, you go into an escape room and you're like, oh, I want to crack no. these juicy padlocks wide open. If you say that. If you're listening and you say you that, wanna, you stop, wanna, please. You want to find those succulent keys. This okay. is horrible. <laughs> what specifically about historical themed escape rooms really appeals to you? Well, I really love history. So that would be the main reason why we do that. I think when well, when we when we started out, obviously we wanted to do things that people would like. But we always wanted to do things we'd like because we want to enjoy our jobs. So we kind of settled on doing historical escape rooms because you can just have so much more fun, I think, going back in time and going to different places. I mean, I've played plenty of games that are set in, like, now, the present, or, like, timeless. But there's just something, like, really charming about any other time period that isn't now, because now's not the best. <laughs> Especially yeah, now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right, right now is awful. <laughs> Do you think in the future there will be people doing historical escape rooms about 2022 and 20? I mean, There will have to be a pandemic one, surely. I mean, that that the... the, the there were pandemic ones open during the pandemic. Well, what? There were like people the, doing COVID-themed the, escape rooms. Well, I think most of them had they already had an had a pandemic-themed game, fortunately or unfortunately, and, and then, then they, they just, thought, yeah, we're not going to close this. Oh, we'll just make it topical. <laughs> yeah, that's brave. I admire those companies. It's a yeah. terrible idea. Don't do it. But I admire them for trying it. I'd like to know like what the sales figures were like compared to their other games. I can't decide if people would not play because of like bad memories, or, or they would they just play. accept that like this is our life now and we're gonna embrace it. Maybe they'd say they think, oh, you would be really good at this because you know we've yeah. just done it in real life. I've had COVID. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna ace this. That that is the escape room player logic. If you could make an escape room about any period that you haven't already done, what would you? What would be like your next? My favorite time period is the Victorians because, well, it's a very long time period, so it's kind of cheating. Um, but like there's just so much going on before the Victorians there is like less content in terms of if you're going to create an escape room because like you know progress is exponential so it was very slow so you know the medieval period 
it's pretty much a thousand years but like not much changes so there's not you could do one medieval game but you couldn't do two they wouldn't be that different and then i i think up until like tudors tudors you could do a game like people know that they know it's different but then again there's not much variant variation going on in history until you get to victorians and then victorians like everything blows up because they'd invented loads of stuff travel was booming or you know at least growing um so yeah that's my favorite time period because i think it's the most charming and also not so much bad stuff happened and then obviously you get to like the wars which there are a lot of games that are themed on world War one or two and i do like the 1940s as well but overall yeah victorians are the winner you said something like not a lot of bad stuff happened would you say that you prefer to make experiences based on the more positive things than the the Um, negative things well we have a great fire of london theme game which obviously was bad but i think that if it's long enough ago then it's people aren't as sensitive to it so it doesn't seem as bad so and it becomes like more interesting than like sad so you could argue maybe more of a like homage to it than a yeah than like a yeah i know what you mean yeah and i think like the effect of the great fire of london i mean is there anyone still feeling an effect from the great fire of london probably not whereas like world war Two, you know well there'll still be people alive today that were part of exactly those, yeah, or like yeah. their parents were yeah, there yeah. or like an uncle was killed or things like that so i think you've got to be more careful with things like that and you've got to try and look at something that's like less sad or more positive that was going on at that time so it's like okay there's a lot of titanic theme rooms how do you feel about them because that's that feels like it's on the cusp of it's so long ago and there's so much about it that it that our producers are giving me a really weird look right now it's so long ago that it there are still people who like great grandparents would have been on it but also there's a great movie about it so it's a heartwarming story yeah i think that that's one where you'd have to be like careful as you're creating it and make sure you, that you're sensitive. And as long as you are, I think that's okay. I mean, personally, I would probably stay away from creating a game around something that recent. Um, because, yeah, I think like there are still going to be people who's who had a family member on board or whatever. Like, it's still, it's still, even though even though there was a movie. The movie did it, like, sensitively. So I think you need to match the movie or or not do it. It's going to be hard to get Leo to, to run an escape room every time, <laughs> though, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know what his wages would be. <laughs> because isn't, there's, there's a Titanic-themed escape room somewhere, I think. Yeah. It, that, that has, like, a, a wall it. of, like, the survivors and stuff at the end. You go so through and it's, there's... Yeah, it's Houdini. Yeah. Oh, but um, imagine if, like, one of them just has the same surname as you, and then that's how you found out that that was your family on there. That would well, be... That would be a good story. I really oh. liked the Titanic one at Houdini's because they they paid so much attention to detail and really did their research on yeah. who was like part of the crew, the passengers. And then I think at the end, they even gave us facts about... So that, like, uh, I don't know how far spoilers go in this context, I guess, but you wear a life jacket while you're playing and then they gave us a fact about whose life jacket it was because it had their name printed on it. And they like were like you were this person, and this is like this was their story, and oh, you that's were so cool and, they and did so it. in depth, but it's so morbid. But it, but it they was sensitive. It was, it was, it was yeah. sensitive, and I think also they didn't like they didn't try to trivialize. They it wasn't like oh you need to go on Titanic and, and like find find this diamond and like get off the ship before it sinks. Like that would be really insensitive. Yeah. 
and they didn't do that so that's why it worked yeah they did really did it justice i think okay. but yeah they they did it quite sensitively and it really worked and it like it really made you when i left i was like thinking about it in a good way but mm-hmm. yeah it was good so katie you like the history but is it easier to adapt really really oldie timeies or newer more modern timeies for an escape room because you like everything to be thematic and very accurate. So do you feel weird putting like numbered padlocks into the 17th century? Yes, of course. Okay. It bothers me. Um, yeah, so the older time period you're going, the harder it is because anything before electricity was discovered and common is difficult. Because, you know, if you're using maglocks or any any puzzle that's obviously like has a motor, then... You have to try to find a way to like explain it or you have to kind of you have to present it in the game in a way that like it could not be electricity or something like that. It's witchcraft. Um, yes, that's an option. Um, and for lighting as well, that's also difficult. So, you know, you, you have to make the bulbs. You have to buy candle flicker bulbs so that they, you know, they're trying to look like candles, not just normal lights, um, things like that. Um, also the older things are the less information there is so when you're doing research um, it's harder to find out info Um, if you're researching a time where people who were alive at the same time as the internet were also alive at the same time as the event then that's the best of both worlds do I say that weirdly? I was, when people who were alive <laughs> okay. at the same time as the internet were alive at the same time as people. So when there's like a generational crossover. Yeah, when there's when the people were alive during that the event. That sentence was a puzzle. That's how good you are but, at puzzles. But still alive when the internet became a thing. Then you've got way more to research because you've got like first-hand accounts. Um, uh, and yeah, things like that. So that makes it easier. But I'm not going to I'm not going to shy away from anything before like 1900 just for that reason so when you design puzzles do you design them around events or do you find parts of your chosen event to then inspire the puzzle so do you kind of come up with the idea first and then go how do i match this to the event or do you do it the other way around yeah so research and then go how can i make a puzzle out of this yeah so um we always pick the time period and theme and then the story first so um when i'm then researching it i'll usually create the set in an outline way so we'll know like what space are we in then research what things are going to be in that space and then think about how those objects can like form puzzles um i do keep a puzzle notepad i guess on my phone um, where I write down puzzle ideas that just come whenever um, that aren't linked, they're not related to anything. And I will look through that every time I design a game and see if any of them like can apply to the research, the objects, the theme that we have. But I'll never like take one and think, no, I really, really want this puzzle in and like try to force it into something like it has to naturally fit. On that note then, did you find your Imaginarium room easier to design than any other room you've designed because it's not set in a real world space it's set in like an abstract in the brain of a writer kind of space so you don't have to be that realistic kind of but what i did for that was research the brain a lot i I read a lot about like the different areas of the brain and obviously we still don't know a lot about the brain so it's actually quite vague or a lot of lot of different ideas but i read a lot and then kind of myself divided it into I think it was eight different sections I thought summed up everything that our brains do 
and then I had to kind of turn each one of them into a puzzle um and that was actually probably easier than your average game because it was quite because that made it quite structured really structured and whereas in a new game if you've got some certain object you need to turn into a puzzle like I don't know just a suitcase not very exciting but you need to turn a suitcase into a puzzle there's like loads of things you could do with it but if you're in a brain and if you're talking about like the language area of the brain you need to turn it into a puzzle like you've really narrowed yourself down and that makes it easier and the the most difficult thing is when you've not narrowed anything down and you could do anything and you just you're lost in a void of like all the possibilities so what you have to do is you have to start making decisions that like narrow it down so you have to say like I'm gonna design a puzzle that uses this and then you have to say okay I've already done a puzzle that is like uses translation so I can't I don't want to do another one like that Um, I don't have many physical puzzles so I really want to do a puzzle where the people have to actually use movement and you have to keep on kind of making yourself restrict more and more to get down to something or you'll just sit there with like your head full of too many options when you're designing puzzles based on a theme like an event or something historic for example or any topic i suppose um do you feel like you have like a need or a want to educate the players like sneak in some little facts like do you think it's kind of important to not only provide puzzles but also be like you've learned something today like we've given you a little bit of information about that era because i know that sometimes playing a game based on a, an event or a topic that you have some knowledge of you can normally spot things be like oh that's accurate and that's accurate do you think it's kind of important to maybe educate or give like some cheeky facts to the players to be like here's a fun fact yeah i i think that's really important um i think it's kind of a rule i've set myself arbitrarily in a way but i really am a stickler for things being accurate to the time period and i think what we have learned is you can't ask people to have to pay attention to loads of information but you can provide information on the sidelines that they can pay attention to if they want to and learn something so the puzzles will always use accurate information um and i hope people will learn some things as they go along they'll at least learn it for uh, you know 30 seconds while they need it to solve the puzzle (laughs) whether they remember after that i don't know um but yeah i i like doing that and i would like to make more games so this would be through imaginarium design that are educational so yeah the purpose really is for people to actually take something away from it at the end so whether that's in actual education or even in like a corporate setting um that would be a fun challenge yeah i like that the general consensus is that you can go you should go into an escape room without any knowledge of the topic like it's not important but then coming out of the escape room with some knowledge on that topic is quite quite like that yeah and i think with our our two games that are set um around the life of lewis carroll i i liked designing them a lot because of the real person of lewis carroll he was actually like really interesting and those games again were easier to design because um he he did so much there's so much about him that you can turn into puzzles and just turn into the game like even the sets and things inspired by you know things i've read about him and what he's up to in his real life this leads quite nicely to the next question which was going to be um what's the most surprising thing you have learned whilst or maybe most interesting i know surprising might be a bit of a difficult one to answer but like what's the most interesting slash surprising thing you've learned whilst researching for an escape room 
definitely loads of things and also i i love facts anyway this is an aside and i spend all my time asking people if they want to hear a fact and so when i'm researching a game then people hear that a lot because there's always loads of interesting stuff but i think um something which i know dan also finds interesting is um the the official fact is that only six people died during the great fire of london i do Um, find this interesting and although it is definitely true that not that many people did die because um people were able to escape quite easily but the death toll was definitely higher than six they just didn't bother to record poorer people's deaths or even some middle class deaths um and also people that were like perhaps homeless or didn't have any family that noticed they were missing also wouldn't have been recorded so it was more than six but in a whole city where almost the entire city was destroyed that's still quite good and that wouldn't happen today even with like all of the like they didn't even have a proper fire brigade but even today if there was a fire that big in the city definitely more than six people would die so that's a fun fact morbidly fun (laughs) fun fact (laughs) how what was the system for warning people that the fire was spreading because surely the fire was its own warning system so well partially general um (laughs) (laughs) one massive towel over all of london (laughs) samuel Pepys just desperately stapling pages of his diary together to make a big thing oh no samuel Pepys was busy burying his wine and cheese he wasn't trying to help people um yeah, the warning system was generally shout. I do, I do believe <laughs> they did have the some. The warning system was to shout. Um, I do believe that they did have some sort of bell department. They had some bell, bell department. Um, but yeah, they didn't really have a fire brigade. They did have these like carts which had a kind of hose-like system on them, which they could run down to the river. Um, and then they also just had good old-fashioned buckets. But they didn't have a proper fire brigade, so they just sort of relied on just people just walking by, volunteering to sh- throw water at buildings. Throw, if they happen um, to have a cup of water on them. Well, I mean, they did have the whole River Thames, so... That's why everyone in London these days has those chilies bottles, just in case it happens all again. I mean, there's probably enough chilies bottles to have put out See, the Great th- Fire of London, think, yeah. it's true. Um, and then they also had um, what they called fire breaks, so they basically like demolished buildings to stop the to fire stop the fire being... from demolishing those buildings. Yes. Like, we're having them first fire. Exactly. So the fire, if they knocked down maybe like two or three buildings in a row, the fire had nothing to burn. It I, couldn't carry on and it couldn't leap to the next building. But so they it was just too like far. left the rubble there, right? I don't understand how those fire breakers work because they're just making kindling, aren't they? Um, I don't know for sure if they scraped it away or otherwise removed it, but it worked. It did work. Okay. I mean, it was a bit too little too late, but it did work. Okay. Um, if you were to give one piece of advice to someone that's looking to build a historical game, what would that piece of advice be? Uh, I think it would be to not skimp on the research and really just... Some some things are really easy to achieve, like just don't have plug sockets visible in the room, just cover them up. Put a piece of furniture over them and screw the piece of furniture down. Any simple things like that. Just take away everything that doesn't make sense in the time period and then do the research to add in the right things that really bring the time period to life um and then also through research make the puzzles like use info from the time period um use like if you find out that this certain thing was invented during the time period then get it in the room make a puzzle out of it um i think learning about the time period is the starting point so that your brain is equipped to produce the game lovely (laughs) 
You've done great, Katie. Well, congratulations. <laughs> Come to the end. You've escaped with all the juicy padlocks. Oh. <laughs> what? Stop offing at the juicy... I like juicy padlocks. I feel like I need to point out that you shouldn't be escaping with the padlocks. You shouldn't. No, don't take the padlocks. Have you, have you ever taken anything when you've escaped a room? No, but I've left something. You've, what did you leave? I left my precious Chili's water bottle. <laughs> oh, no, was it, wait, was it a room in London? Was it to help with the fire? <laughs> the cause of the no, fire? No, it was in Stafford, so they probably got a fire. Stafford, due. if you're listening, please, please return Katie's Chili's water bottle. <laughs> she is. There's a tear in her eye. I'm dehydrated. Do we need to ask Kate? <laughs> do we need to ask Kate to do a pat down in case she's got any keys in her pocket before we? Oh yeah, we should. Yeah, we should make sure you've got no keys, no questions in your pocket, no answers in your brain. No, good. Okay, no, ans- <laughs> no answers to anything. So as part of the debrief, we're going to be asking the hard hitting questions now. Not that we apparently haven't already hit the hard, the hard hitting. Yeah, why are we words? asking the harder questions in the debrief? <laughs> Do you not? When you yeah, do no. Yeah, I, I, whenever I finish GMing a game, I kick in the door and go, what is the meaning of life? And if they don't tell me instantly, I throw them out for fire escape. That's fair enough. Is that before or after putting the water out with the cheese bowl? It depends. Fair, fair. All right, so question: the first question of the debrief I'm going to ask you is, um, if you could play in an escape room with one historical figure... Who would you choose? That's such a good question. Oh, that's so one. hard. There's so many. Because I was trying like... to think of my answer, and I don't even know who I'd choose at this point. We're just like trying to design a puzzle where you've got so like so many options and you haven't narrowed it down. Um, okay, let's narrow it down. I, okay, I'm gonna pick an inventor. I'm gonna. Oh, interesting. Because is that because you think inventors will be smart and you'd get out? I guess that is. Would they steal <laughs> the glory from you? They're then yeah. If it was, t- if it was Thomas Edison, would he be like? <laughs> okay, no. Screw the inventors. Oh. <laughs> okay. I'm changing Screw my the mind. Inventors is a take like poor old question. Nikola Tesla, and then you know. His name is associated with playing an escape room view and not with Elon Musk's cars. Um, I'm going to pick a Tudor. A Tudor? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because I've, I've gotten into them recently. Would I've... they get like... Would, are they eased into this system of playing escape rooms or do they get future shock and just like Henry VIII just appear in an escape room and he's really angry? <laughs> are you asking if the historical figure just appears in the room? Yeah. Or, no. <laughs> um, I am going to choose... This is controversial, but I'm going to choose Jane Seymour, who was the third wife. Wait, hang on. Of died. Henry VIII. Uh, they're all dead. Yeah, she. But like, but normally, she, not, yeah. she, Yes, she died the most normally. She. Um, she has the worst song in Six. Carry on. I have not yet seen oh. Six. Um, I think loads of people forget about her and think she's boring. Um, yeah. but I would play with her because I think she would be a good teammate. I think Anne Boleyn would be conniving. Um, I think Catherine of Aragon would be bossy. We're not picking any of them. But while we're playing, I'm going to ask her what really happened. I really want to know what happened with Anne Boleyn. I, I don't believe anything she was accused of, but I would like to hear so it. You, this you, is you from the first to get the historical I didn't even think yeah. of doing that. No, this is the best ever. So, yeah, I've chosen her to be a good teammate. I think I think, I think she was kind, and I think she was like reasonably smart, considering women weren't allowed to really be educated. Um, and, yeah, then I'll get the lowdown. Oh, yeah, how do you bring that up in natural conversation while in an escape room? <laughs> Wait, did she, have, did she have Henry's son? Yeah, she had Henry's son. She but, had, so, okay. but then he was king for a little bit, but then he died when he was like 15, so she she didn't do much to further things. Okay, if you had unlimited budget and no intellectual property issues, what game would you want to make? Um, I don't think I would actually choose any IP. I actually prefer us creating our own stories. Okay, um, okay. And when you work with IP, then you you always have to answer to someone else. And I like to answer to <laughs> you myself. You like to be the boss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think 
uh, this uh, I would probably change my answer every day, but right now I would love to do um, some kind of game that is more exploratory than we've ever been able to do before because I think space is normally a kind of constricting thing. So it would be a lot more of a journey and it would be water based. So in reality, I wouldn't do this because people would fall Underwater in, etc. No, on or on water. On so, water based. So okay. you'd have a little like a canoe or a yeah, little little boat getting at the beginning and you row and so you would maybe get to so you maybe start in a cave and then you'd maybe get to like a cavern you would get out and explore and i can't go into puzzles off the top of my head um and then you'd get back into the boat and you'd row a little bit further maybe you'd like come out the mouth of the cave and you'd be in a jungle and you, something else would happen you'd row then further down the river or stream etc um and i suppose you would never go back. I think it would only be an onward journey. Um, so this I... is like a Rumba Rapids, but with also puzzles. Sh- yeah. Like, yeah. Rumba Rapids. I don't know what Rumba <laughs> Rapids is. I don't know why I said, yeah. You've never been to like a Thought Park? Oh, so place, I thought it was like a mobile game. I think... <laughs> well, can I use that as an example? <laughs> I don't know. That's why I thought like it was a, weird. Like a lazy rhythm bit in a boat, but then with puzzles at each. Like, so yeah. you wouldn't and... have anything in one, like a far away, like the jungle wouldn't then call back to the cave. They have to remember a thing they've I, seen in the cave. Yeah, I don't think... I mean, in reality, there's so many problems with this. Like, what if they take something would, with them from the cavern? Would, but... well, you've got unlimited budget. You just buy a million, a million props. Okay, yeah. Do the teams get life jackets or are you willing to lose a few customers? Um, Do you make them write the TripAdvisor review before they go in? <laughs> I think if we're saying unlimited budget, we have to say like unlimited health and safety, etc. Oh, I thought well. I thought you were say, oh, unlimited people can come and play, so it doesn't matter. No, um, yeah, I think having to consider like the reality of people actually playing and being safe and not destroying it that that restricts so many ideas. So if we're having fun right now, we can't talk about those that side of things because that cancels a lot of stuff. Okay. Would you, in, like, an escape room that would have, like, flickering lantern lights, just have actual candles, if you could? Oh, yeah, I would, yeah. I'd be... uh, It's not even health and safety and budget. It's, like, you can't control what people are going to do in an escape room. Like, literally 50% of designing an escape room is thinking of a thing, thinking how people will ruin it, or just otherwise (laughs) not operate it in the correct way, and then discarding the idea. Or adapting it greatly. As a software developer, I... I relate to that. You, you just think about what you could make and then how someone else would ruin it. It's, yes. Oh, that's, yeah. you guys live... You're such happy people and you live such <laughs> pessimistic lives. Yes. You you have to make sure that people are going to be safe, but you have to make sure they're not going to break the game because, like, that's just going to ruin their experience. And so. you don't want more real-life candles because that's more ambiance for the sweet, sweet loving that people keep having whenever you're running escape rooms for <laughs> yeah, them. we don't encourage that. Wait till afterwards. Funnily enough... I thought of these things first, uh, not connected to a time period, which is the opposite of how I normally work. But you just it got me excited with the opportunities of That's using cool. water. That, that could be like, I mean, it could be like James Cook discovering the new worlds. If he wasn't such a terrible person, it'd be a good thing to to base a room on. Yeah, I, I would like to base a room on discovering new worlds. But all the people that did that were all pretty bad people. But, like time trap's whole ethos is to rewrite history and make things right. So it could just be good people from from the twenty first. That's century. true. So yeah, um, something about discovering new lands, but being sensitive to the people and the cultures already there. Nice work, Katie. You've made it through to the end. You've got out, like it was a real escape room, just by the skin of your teeth, which is a horrible thought. Imagine having to moisturise your teeth. Okay, and the final question I have for you, Katie, um, is do you have any advice to anyone wanting to enter the escape room industry? Yeah, I think it's more difficult now than ever. 
um, which is probably the case with a lot of industries. Once you're not one of the first, then you've got to compete with everything else that's out there. And everything else that's out there is getting increasingly better for the most part. So if you're setting up an escape room now, you need to be doing something different. You need to be kind of being part of where the industry is heading. You can't just open a game from 2014 and you can't even really just open a game from 2022. You you need to be opening the game from 2025 now and kind of giving customers something new. And I don't know exactly what that is right now, but there are people doing different things. And I think it's a case of either jumping on those as well or doing your own different thing. I think escape rooms are maybe going to even stop being called escape rooms at some point because that term's never actually been a very good description of what they are. It makes people think they're going to be locked in it. It makes people think that it's just about getting out of a room and they're not. They are about solving missions. They're about achieving a goal that you've been given for the most part. Like I would say 95% of them are now and even when they started it was probably at least 50%. So they're going to be called something that's to do with immersion, to do with interaction and to do with being an experience and whether that's going to head more towards immersion so like the puzzles are going to take a back seat it could be whether the puzzles are gonna become more physical so it's more like all of the physical games from the crystal maze which i know we've spent like 10 years describing certain as the crystal maze but maybe they're gonna become even more like the crystal maze or some things i can't even think of because no one has thought of them yet um so i think yeah if someone wants to start i know that's what they need to do and they don't need to have loads and loads of money they just need to have loads and loads of creativity otherwise I think they're they're not going to be able to compete with what's already there for customers attention and also they might find that by the time they've become established because it takes a long time to set up an escape room even just one room let alone a venue with more than one room by the time they're up and running they'll already be outdated if they make a game like what they could play today so if people want to find out more about you about time trap where can they where can they do that through at time trap escape and also at imaginarium des des that's for imaginarium design um those are the two things through which i output my mind so is it, is it, wait, <laughs> is it the same is it the same across all platforms yes so at time trap escape and at imaginarium des des yes des yes um thank you very much for listening um, to the first ever episode um, we hope you all enjoyed listening um, as much as... The, did we... D- yeah, we enjoyed recording. I enjoyed recording. I, I, yeah, I can tell you did. The producers are a bit annoyed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Three of us had a good time. Thank you very much, Katie, for joining us. It's been a pleasure. It's, I've had the most fun I've had all year. Thank you. But you're finding those succulent keys and cracking up in those juicy padlocks. It, it really brings the whole calendar to life. So if you want to find out more about us and see mine and Dan's handsome faces on our social media platforms, we are at Pod. On Twitter and Instagram, what platforms are we not on, Dan? I load uh, platform nine and three quarters. <laughs> nice. Um, That's a shame because we should be. <laughs> we should. We're magical, wonderful beings. We are.